I want to, uh, we're, we're going to dive into this uh, part four, I believe, in Jesus Christ. Uh, we're, we're going through uh, what's called the Apostles' Creed, right? Which is just, um, it's not, uh, the Apostles' Creed is not Scripture, but it does summarize Scripture. It summarizes what the Bible teaches about some of the core beliefs of the Christian faith. And so, we're in this uh, middle section of the creed that's been focusing on Jesus, uh, you know, how, how he was born and then that he, he died on the cross and rose again and ascended at the right hand of the Father and, and, um, and all that. So uh, just to get you familiar with the creed, if you're not, uh, let's just say the creed together. Uh, and maybe some of you grew up in a tradition that did that. I didn't, but uh, this, that way you'll kind of know what the creed is that we're talking about. Let's say this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And so that's, that's one rendition of the Apostles' Creed. There are a number out there. Uh, but we're using this as kind of a launching pad to dive into the core truths of the Christian faith. And uh, today, we're focusing in on this phrase, that says, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Meaning, um, so it mentions the location, right? From whence. Uh, I don't use the word whence very often. I don't know about you. But it basically means from where. And, and the idea is that, well, right before this, talked about the ascension of Jesus and how he's at the right hand of God the Father now, right? The position of power. And it's from that place he will then come, right? And he will come from there, Return here to judge the living and the dead. And so that's what we're going to talk about, his return. Um, now, there's a lot you could, directions you could go on this. You could, you could focus in on uh, the timeline of things. And I could get out my own eschatology charts and we'd timeline it and all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not doing that today. Uh, I'm just going to talk about who is the judge, okay, and, and how's that going to go down. Um, there are a lot of different opinions and on, on the timing of certain things. And that's okay. Uh, there's latitude within the Scripture, I think, different ways of looking at how the end times unfold in terms of timing uh, that do are still true to the Scriptures. Okay, There's differing views on that. But, but to say that we all agree He's coming back and that He is coming to judge the living and the dead, and, and we know some specifics on how that's going to go down. And so I'm going to focus in on the things that we know for sure, okay, um, on this. Now, um, the first thing is that Jesus will be the judge at the final judgment. He's the one that's going to be doing the judging. Uh, and to uh, take a look at that, I want to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 25, or if you have a device you want to look that up on, uh, it's also in our notes online. If you go to our uh, church website and you can click on the uh, the sermon notes and it'll take you there and open up the Version Bible and give you all the notes, including the verses. Um, now, I want to mention, 
this passage here uh, is part of a series of, of stories that Jesus is telling that, that talk about um, his return. Okay, there's a couple of parables before this is the, the parable of, uh, let me get the name, of course the names are, are all different here. Uh, I think it's the, of the, the virgins here, what is it? Hang on, let's see. See how the title or how the headings are in my Bible. So you got the parable of the ten virgins, starting at twenty-five, verse one. And so the main idea there is: uh, be ready, be ready. Okay. Uh, in their case, the readiness was the the having oil in the lamps and the everything trimmed and ready to go. Right. You're you're ready. You're being ready. And so um, Jesus is telling his people: be ready. I'm I'm going to come. I'm going to come again. Right. And then. You get, starting at verse 14 of chapter 25 of Matthew, the parable of the talents, where, you know, this, uh, this uh, man is going out on a journey, and he calls his servants, and he gives them things to, to uh, some of his wealth to invest, right? And he's going to come back and give an account for what they did with it. Did they invest it, or did they just sit on it, or do nothing with it, right? And so that parable is, just reminds us that, are, are we going to be faithful, with what he's given us. Will we be faithful? And then, the passage I want to focus in on today, here in Matthew 25, uh, at least on this point, is this, um, where Jesus is, it's not really as much of a parable as, well, it's, it's a quasi-parable, I mean, it's really going to happen. Um, let me just read it for you, Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, it says, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And so, here we just, Jesus is saying, I'm going to come back in glory. That's, he's the Son of Man. And he's saying, I'm going to sit on my throne. And on that throne, I'm going to make judgments. And I'm going to separate, uh, he uses the terminology, the sheep from the goats. And so it says in verse 33, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Now you may remember Luke Miller, when he was preaching last week, mentioned you know, Jesus being at the right hand of God, a position of power, right? Well, in a similar way here, uh, you know, him putting the sheep on his right is saying it's a position of favor. Okay? And so, these sheep are the favored ones, right? And so it says then, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, here's what he says, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So you can see already this right-hand side where the sheep are going to be is, is, a, is a place of blessing, and they're going to inherit the kingdom that's being prepared. And it's interesting before the foundation of the world. Verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So Jesus says these things. He says, this is what I'm going to say. And then verse 37, Then the righteous, the righteous would be the sheep on his right, then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And let's just stop right there. So, uh, he's saying, you know, basically, that because these people that, that are represented by these sheep treated um, Jesus' messengers, because that's when he says, these brothers of mine, he's, you got to, in context, he's talking about the, his disciples. Because you, because you, you, you treated them well, right? You, you gave them clothing, you, you helped them out, you served them, you loved on them. You, know, you saw all the, the things he listed there, right? He says, because you did that, you, when you did it to them, you were actually doing it to me, right? Do you remember what, um, do you remember what the Lord said to, um, at the time it was Saul, it was not yet the Apostle Paul, Saul when he was riding on his horse and he had that encounter with the, uh, the resurrected Christ, you know what he, said? what he said? What did he say to him? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, was he persecuting Jesus? He was persecuting the church, right? Saul, who would become Paul, right? He, he, was, a, he was a killer of Christians. He was rounding them up and they were, they were killing some of them. Right, putting others in jail, and but it's interesting that Jesus, right, is saying says to Paul that he says, "Why are you persecuting me?" And there's that relationship, right? It's almost like you know a dad would say, "You you hurt one of my kids, you're hurting me." Okay, it's that same idea. Okay, and so. Um, or our moms, you know, going mama bear on somebody because they're protecting their kids, right? It's that kind of mentality is, is basically when Jesus in Matthew is saying, uh, the, the sheep are those who have welcomed the messengers of the gospel and therefore have welcomed the message, okay? They're the same people, the sheep, okay? Um, don't be duped into thinking that... Uh, your salvation or being in God's good graces is done by your good deeds. Because some people read this and they say, well, then I guess I need to be about doing good to God's people so that I can be in the sheep side and not the goat side. Well, you, I mean, hopefully you would want to do God's people good anyway, but that's not what's going to get you there. Uh, I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. But some people think when they read this that, oh, well, then being good is what's going to make me a sheep. No. Uh, it's just, uh, it's more of the fruit of your faith, okay? It's the fruit of your authentic faith in Jesus that would cause you to do good to God's people and to welcome the messengers of the gospel, uh, what Jesus calls uh, the least of these brothers, okay? So then he says in verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So you can already see now the left side is not the side to be on. It's the cursed side, not the blessed side, right? Um, and that's where the goats were, right? And so in verse 42, it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, um, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Like, when did that happen? That's what they're saying. Then he will answer, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. It's just the reverse, right? It's the reverse of what he said to the sheep. Now listen to verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay? Um, Now, I said I wasn't going to go down the route of charts and stuff like that, and and I promise I won't, but I do want to mention one thing. Um, There is a certain, um, can I say Christian camp, uh, that it would be, some would call it... uh, dispensationalism, where there's like these clearly defined periods of time uh, when, when certain things are happening and how God works and so on. Um, and you can believe that. That's fine. Uh, but, but some people that in that camp think that this is a, a one of several judgments. They would say that this is the judgment of nations. Uh, they say that because it says he will... He will um, gather all the nations, right? Um, but I, I think there might be a problem with that. Like, so I, I want to poke a hole, one hole maybe in that. And that is that, okay, it mentions the nations, but then it says he will separate the people one from another, okay? Uh, and so I really think the word nations there is to be taken uh, of just like people groups, these different people groups all over, okay? Um, and he's certainly, I don't think, uh, the way God works in the other parts of the Bible, where we see, he's not like, when you look at how, how people are saved, it's not based on what people group they are. It's based on whether they believe. And certainly within various people groups, there are believers and unbelievers. Does that make sense? So I don't think this judgment is a judgment of nations. I don't think it makes sense. It doesn't fit in with the rest of Scripture. That's my opinion. I think this is just... Uh, the judgment, the final judgment. And um, there are other places, uh, we're actually going to hit on um, those today uh, in, in, the, uh, in Revelation where it mentions the great white throne and then uh, in other places in Corinthians where it mentions the, the, the judgment seat of Christ. Again, some people put those at, as different judgments. Um, I just think he's judging different people, different types of people. I th- my, I'm just giving you my opinion, okay? It's, you're free to have, there's some different ways to be biblical on this. And I think it can just be one judgment. I think it could be one judgment where these unbelievers are judged, the believers are judged. I think it can happen all at once. I don't think it has to be done in three different times. Just throwing that out there. But the main thing I want you to see here is that this is definitely a judgment of someone's eternal destiny, right? Eternal punishment or eternal life with God. Um, and it's Jesus who's doing it. Jesus is the judge. You know, and I just think that it bears pointing this out because so many people think of Jesus as, you know, little Jesus in the manger or uh, Jesus 
kind and gentle Jesus, merciful Jesus. And he is those things. There's no question. Um, you know, he, uh, Jesus, uh, amazingly compassionate um, and merciful, no question. But he's also um, just, just like God the Father. He's just, and, and um, justice will be done um, by Jesus. And uh, it will have to do with how we have welcomed the gospel or not. Okay, that's really the defining thing about whether someone is a Christian or not. If they've welcomed the gospel, they've believed it, right? Um, Now, in Revelation, Revelation chapter 20, um, I want to look at a passage there. It's interesting. It mentions about getting out some books, okay? Getting out out some books. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, all right? And so... Uh, it says, then I saw, now you've got to remember, this is John, uh, uh, and he he's, has these visions, right, that God gives him, um, and it says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Here we go with the throne again, right? We just saw Matthew, right? Jesus sitting on his throne. Okay, and so, and it says, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up their dead uh, where, uh, who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, uh, if there's anything you get from that is you want, you want to have your name in the book of life, okay? This, this is, I mean, you know, I, that's a no-brainer for me after reading that. I want to go to the lake of fire, okay? That's eternal punishment, okay? And so, um, but did you notice, though, that in that passage it says books, and then it says there's a book, right? I mean, I know that sounds like master of the obvious. Just call me Moto. Master of the obvious, but but there's a difference between these, right? The books, plural, as it says, um, it says uh, it says, and the dead were judged by what was written. And then written, written sounds like I'm British or something. Written was written in the books, plural, according to what they had done. So these books, in these books, somehow must be recorded our deeds, what we had done. Okay, all everybody. Okay, so everybody's in the books, the way I see. Everybody's listed in the books that have our deeds, okay? Um, But uh, not everybody is in the book, um, the the book of life, okay? And so I just think it's it's important for us to make that distinction. Um, Now, I wonder how you get your name in the book of life. Uh, if you look at another verse in Revelation 13, Revelation 13, 
verse 8. Listen to this. And listen for the phrase, the book. And then listen to what happens. So it says, And all who dwell on, on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life, who was slain. Did you get that? The, the, the part where it says, before the foundation of the world, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So this book of life is related to what Jesus did on the cross. And it has to do with those who welcome the gospel and have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. All those sheep that's mentioned in Matthew 25 will be the same people who would have their names written in the book of life. Because they've welcomed the gospel, they welcomed the messengers of the gospel, and therefore they have, they have acknowledged before God that they're a sinner in need of a Savior and that Christ is the one and only. All right? And that they have, they have um, fully trusted in what Jesus did on the cross to forgive their sins. Because that's what God said, right? But God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? God demonstrated that love, that sacrificial love, by sending son Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, right? right? Jesus is still going to have those, those uh, scars in His hands and in His feet. And so we, we need to realize that on Judgment Day, right, um, it's really, yes, it mentions the deeds. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a, uh, something for you here in a second that might give a scenario of how it might go down. Um, but, but it really has to do with what did you do with Jesus? You know, what did you do with the Lamb who was slain? Did you receive Him as Savior? Did you believe Him as, to be God's one and only Son come? And then rose again from the dead. And if you did, then your name's written in the book of life. It says even from the foundation of the world. Right? If not, then no. Um, you'll have to be judged on your deed, purely on your deeds, which will never measure up to God's standard of perfection. Okay? So everybody's in the book of deeds, right? But not everybody's in the book of life. Let me read to you something. Um, I thought this was an interesting, just, just a, a minute or two here, uh, probably more like a minute of reading, because John Piper mentioned something that was like his take on the thief on the cross and what was going to happen with him on Judgment Day. Do you, me- you remember Jesus, right, uh, on either side of him was crucified two thieves, right? And you remember the one was mocking Jesus, right? Can you imagine that on, while they're all hanging there? Uh, but the other guy's like, listen, yelling to the other thief, stop, stop mocking him. You know, he did nothing wrong. He's done nothing to deserve to be here, but we have. And, you know, then Jesus turns to that guy and says, you know, you'll be with me in paradise today. Something happened in that guy's life, right? He believed, okay? And now listen to what Piper says. Again, just one man's opinion on what might happen at the judgment, talking about the books and the book. Here's what he says. It says, uh, for example, consider the thief on the cross. Jesus said that he would, he would enter paradise, Luke 23, 43. But what will judgment be like for him when the books are opened? 99% of his life will be sin, and only the final hours will be the fruit of faith. 
he says, and this is opinion, he says, I think God will open the book of life and show the name of the thief on the cross. His salvation will be secured by the blood of Christ. Then God will open the books and will use, will use the record of sin to glorify his son's supreme sacrifice. And then he will use the last page of the books, the deeds of this guy's life, the last page to show that what was wrought in the thief's attitudes and words, the last page, the last hours on the cross will be the public confirmation of the thief's faith in union with Christ. In other words, hey, you know, even at the 11th hour, he had a come to Jesus moment right there on the cross next to Jesus. And even though all these other evil deeds that would have come before this, what mattered was, did he believe? At that time, even if it was the last thing he did. And he, Piper goes on to say, he says, Therefore, when I say that what is written in the books is a public confirmation of our faith and of our union with Christ, I do not mean that the record will contain more good works than bad. I mean that there will be recorded there the kind of change that shows the reality of faith. Okay? I, I just I agree with that. That's an opinion, but how the books and the book are going to work on that day. But the book of deeds, right, the, book, the books should show that we have some kind of authentic faith, right? And then, of course, not based on our deeds, but uh, our, our name would be in the book of life, right? It, it, again, it's back to the fruit, right? The fruit comes from the root. If you're rooted in Christ, the fruit's going to show it. Right? Not perfection. We're not going to be perfect. We're still going to sin. But, but uh, we're rightly related to him, and it shows. And so, so just realize that um, there is coming a day right, when the books will be open. Right? And, uh, and, and at that point, it's too late. And so our hope and prayer is that uh, as many people will come to Christ and put their faith in him right before that day. Right? Now, it's important for us to know that both unbelievers and believers will be judged. It's just a matter in what way, okay? In what way? Um, well, unbelievers will receive a judgment of condemnation. Uh, believers won't be condemned. I mean, uh, Romans tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we're not going to receive a judgment of condemnation. We'll have some other kind of evaluation, all right? Um, but unbelievers will receive a judgment of condemnation. And um, certainly you can see that bear out um, in the passages we read in Matthew and in Revelation, right? What happens to the one group, right? The goats, they're going to eternal punishment, right? That's certainly condemnation in my book, right? Okay. And so, but listen to Romans chapter 2, 5 to 8 says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And then it says, he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, and he will give eternal life. But, <clears throat> excuse me, for those who are self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Wrath and fury. 
for those who do not obey the truth. And part of that truth is just the truth of the gospel, right? Right? That's the big thing, the truth of the gospel. Um, the gospel, in a sense, is something to be obeyed. It's something to respond to, uh, right? And, and to submit to the fact that we're sinners in need of a Savior and Christ is the Savior. And so that is a, a judgment that the unbelievers will receive a judgment of condemnation. Now, what about believers? What about those who have placed their faith in Christ? Believers will receive a judgment to evaluate and bestow rewards. Okay? Um, I don't know if you knew this, but there's going to be a day of reward for believers. I don't know what those rewards would be like. You know, we have uh, Paul throws things out like the crown of life and these different things. I don't know exactly what those things are. People have speculated. Um, but it just, uh, the Bible tells us in a number of places uh, about rewards. So take a look in Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. It says, The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. So here we are, the final judgment, right? It says, and, so it's not just the, the time uh, for the dead to be judged, it says, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name. That's believers, okay? You may say, well, I'm not a prophet or whatever. You're not a prophet, but you're a saint, at least, in the biblical definition of saint as a, a believer, uh, and, and those are the people who fear God's name, right? Okay, it says, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And so <coughs> we clearly see there, there's going to be some rewards for believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 also mentions something about believers um, and, and uh, in evaluation. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so um, to get a little bit of flavor of what that might be like as far as reward based on our deeds, I think we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I know I'm going around a lot of places here, but uh, it's kind of necessary to get a sense for this judgment or this judgment or evaluation for believers. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15. Listen, it says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Did you get those construction materials? Gold, silver, and precious stones. And then it says wood, hay, and straw. So the first three are definitely an enduring, enduring things. The other things are very uh, fragile and easily destroyed, right? So it says, each one's work will become manifest or will be revealed. Does that bother you? Everybody's deeds is going to be known. Like, you know, it's like there's no secret. You can try to cover things up now, but it's all going to be brought to the light at that time. It bothers me. Like, 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 that makes me want to live, like, you know, truthfully, honestly, with integrity. We should want to anyway, but I'm just saying, it really puts a seriousness to that. Because, you know, we might be able to dupe each other every now and then, but you can't dupe God, okay? I've known people that live double lives, double lives, you know, and they usually eventually comes out anyway. But even if they can make it all the way to the end, it's going to come out then going to come out then. So then 
It says, each one's work will become manifest for the day, capital D, meaning that end day, that final judgment day, will disclose it. That day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So you know there's building materials we mentioned before, the gold and stuff. <clears throat> the fire, in a sense, uh, is going to burn that up. The stuff that's, that's not really worth anything and the stuff that's eternal was what will remain. Um, so the gold, silver, and precious stone things would, would, would last under the fire, the heat, but not the other stuff. It would burn up, right? The, uh, this wood, hay, and straw. And so it, it, he's giving us a description of here is like our works, you know. There's some good stuff. There's some bad stuff. The, the bad stuff will be burned up. The, the good stuff will remain. Right? If the work that anyone has built on in the foundation survives, it says, survives that heat, he will receive a reward. So that, I mean, I'm making this up. It's right there. What's left, that's what we'll be rewarded on. Okay? It's just a way for us to see that there's things that are going to last and there are things that are not going to last. And when you start really thinking seriously about these things, it makes you think about, what am I doing with my life? How am I raising my family? How am I conducting myself at work? How am I... You know, what am I doing with my time, with my money? Is it, am I investing in things that are actually going to last? Right? It's very sobering. Very sobering. I think it's meant to be. Um, we give praise and honor to Jesus Christ because we're covered by the blood. Right? So even though we fall short and we have these deeds that are going to be burned up, uh, that he doesn't hold that against us because he sees us through his righteous son. Now, as I, as I think about this, um, the fact that Jesus is returning to judge both believers and unbelievers, there's three things I want to share with you that I think that really we should be motivated to do. Okay. Um, I don't know what motivates you, but... I hope that looking at, trying to look ahead at the end of things and seeing that there will be a, come, a literal come to Jesus moment for believers on, on what we've done with what he's given us, how we've lived our lives and rewarded on that basis, right? But also for unbelievers that on that day, it's too late, okay? Now, so what are these things? So the fact that Jesus is returning to judge motivates me to be on mission with the gospel of Jesus. To be on mission with the gospel of Jesus. Um, if we really believe, and we do as Christians, that this is eternal punishment, this is separation from God for all eternity, right, in hell, then I'm thinking of some people that uh, I don't know where they stand. And I would, want, I would want them to be there. I mean, I don't want anybody to go to hell, but I'm not the boss, okay? All right? God's just, okay? And all sin will be judged, right? Uh, and he's a just God, and that's just the way it is. He, his love and justice were met at the cross. There is a way to escape this wrath, right? by putting faith in Christ. But if you don't, and so that, that makes me want to get the gospel out. That makes me want to tell people about how God's changed my life, what he's done. 
and, and, and then tell them God's story of salvation and how they can know God personally as well. It also makes me want to get the message to the ends of the earth because there are lots of places that have barely even heard about Jesus, okay? Or don't even have any kind of scripture in their own language. And so in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and, and then it says, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. So, so, you know, God is patiently waiting. We know from other places in Scripture, patiently waiting for as many people as who will respond to the gospel. You know, and, and if you haven't made the decision uh, to put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, why, what are you waiting for? Um, and you know, and some people can think of this as like a little bit of manipulation, but you know, we are, but I'm, I'm just being real. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. I mean, people die every day. We have nurses here. They can tell you people die every day. I mean, that's not a surprise, but I'm saying, and we don't think it's going to be us. I bet those people didn't think it was going to be them either. Don't think that you, you're going to have the presence of mind to have an 11th hour conversion. Okay? And, it's, and I, you know, I, I just think about the words of the Apostle Paul where he says, uh, you know, I implore you, be reconciled to God. God has made a way through His Son Jesus to be made right with God, to have a right relationship with God, to, to know our God personally. It's by faith. It's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Not, not putting faith in your own good works, that your good works might outweigh your bad, you know, like the scales of justice type of thing. That's not how it's going to go down. It's going to go down with, did you put your faith in Christ as the one and only Savior, or did you not and decide to go it on your own? And, and that's just it. You know, and, and I, you know, God loves you, but he's not going to make you do one or the other. He wants you to come to him, right? By faith, just simply saying, God, you know my mess, but I recognize now my need for a Savior, and I want to confess my sin, and I want you to forgive me, and whatever this is we're talking about, I want to be one of those sheep. I want to learn to hear your voice. I want to follow you. It's not rocket science. It really is not. It, it, it's, it's the faith of a child, as it says in the Scriptures. It's just believing. So, I'm motivated to get that message out, and I hope you are too. Because that's, that's the reality. That day is coming. Okay. Now, the other thing I'm motivated to do is to be an encourager to other believers. And so should you. If you're a believer, you should be an encourager of other believers. Um, give courage. Encourage means give courage. It takes courage to live out your faith. Where you live, work, and play. I'll use those phrases. Like where you, where you live, like in your neighborhood. Uh, where you work, obviously. Or if you're in school. Uh, or where you play. Where you do your hobbies, your things 
you like to do for fun. It takes courage to live out a Christ-like life in, in all those arenas. Okay. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, we have this exhortation to encourage one another. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. It's my understanding this stirring up is a prodding. Um, so I grew up out in the country, though I was not a country boy myself, um, in, in the sense of I didn't live on a farm, but all my friends lived on a farm. And so if you want to hang out and play with your friends, you've got to do farm work so that we can go have fun. Right, so one of those friends of mine was uh, they raised hogs, pigs, and they they raised them and they took them to market. And I would take them to market sometimes. Uh, the town of Troy used to have a dinner bell. Uh, what do you call it? Slaughterhouse. Okay, I know it's not a pleasant topic, but this is a reality. If you eat meat, okay, all right, and so and so. You'd have to prod those pigs to get out of the trailer and go up the chute into the dinner bell slaughterhouse, right? You had to motivate them to get out. And this word, stir up, is that kind of a thing. It's like, it's like prodding each other to keep following Jesus, prodding each other to pursue holiness and godliness in a world that is less tolerant of living out your faith, okay? And so we need to encourage one another. Prod one another along, it says, to love and good deeds. We need to encourage one another and prod one another to love well and to do good deeds. And then it says in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. In other words... We need each other's company, too. Okay? Whether it's here in this context, or whether it's in a smaller group, or whether it's in a virtual small group, I don't care what it is, but you got to stay connected because you got to have a lifeline with a fellow believer. Living, you know, out there on your, no, on your own as a Christian is not the way to be. Biblical Christianity is lived out in community, not in isolation. Okay? But then it says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near. You say, the closer we get to the return of Christ, which every day that passes, it's one day sooner, right? The closer we get to that day, the more we will need this the more we will need to support and encourage each other's faith. The more we will need to prod one another to love and good works. We need it. We all need it. And knowing that Christ is returning, I think should motivate us to be each other's greatest encouragers in life, in the faith. Now, last thing here. The fact that Jesus is returning to judge motivates me to live in a way, to live in a way that pleases God and that shows the proper priorities in life. Again, it's the wood, hay, and straw versus the gold, silver, and precious stones. I I wanna I want to hear 
if we're believers, we should want to hear the Lord Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? And so, for that to be happening, I believe that we should be pursuing uh, to, uh, to live a life that pleases God. Well, how are we going to know what that is? Well, you've got to know what His will is for your life. Well, how do you know that? Well, you've got to be in the book, the Bible, to know what that is, what He desires for us, how He wants us, our, our marriages to be, how He wants our relationships just in general to be, um, how He wants us to raise our kids, how He wants us to uh, relate to government, how, you know, all these things. It's right here. And so part of li- you know, living a way that is pleasing to God is knowing what He calls us to do. I'd be many people that kill for this in another country that would love to have a Bible, you know. We probably got ten, right? Probably. So we need to blow off the dust and get in there, right? Find out what God's will is and pursue it, right? I see this for me. For me, this little topic here today, which is not a little topic, this, this thing motivates me to really want to live it for the Lord all out, okay? And it should be all the time, but you know, we have our ups and downs, don't we? And God's gracious. He's merciful. He knows. But when we're presented with a truth like this, I think he's, he's wanting us to kind of wake up. Wake up. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. You know, I think from that verse, he's just saying, listen, you need to invest your life in things that are going to last. Right? Is, the, is your life all about this world and the material things it can give to you? Or are you going to use those material things as a means to win people to Jesus, to live for God. That's what I hope it is, right? Not just the pursuit of those things themselves, right? There's nothing wrong with things. I hope not, because I have a lot of them. Do you have, I have things. You know, you, got, you, got, you probably have a house or an apartment or a car or whatever, right? Those are things, right? In and of themselves, they're not bad or good, but God wants us to not uh, have our heart wrapped around those things, but to hold them loosely, to be put in his use, right? Use them to serve people. Use your car to serve people. Use your time to, to love people and tell about Jesus when you have opportunity. Verse 33, we'll end with this, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Well, you know, a good Bible student would read before this and see, well, what are all these things? Well, basically saying your, your basic needs, right? In the, in the passage before that, before he tells them to seek first the kingdom of God, he's saying, listen, you know, you don't have to worry about what you're going to wear. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat because, you know, your, your heavenly father, he takes care of those birds. He feeds them every day. And he, 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 he clothes the flowers of the field. And don't you think you're more important than they are? You know, and the answer is, yes, you are, right? And your heavenly father loves you. He, but what he wants you to do is to get your priorities right. When he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Like, you know, pursue being more Christ-like. Um, find, um, you know, just spend some time with the Lord. Just 
praying. I say, Lord, are my priorities right? Do I have you in the first spot? Does my time and the use of my talents and gifts and what skills that you give me, are they being used for your kingdom's sake and to, to, to uh, love people and win people to the kingdom? Are the words that are coming out of my mouth building up people in the kingdom? Or are they tearing them down? There's a verse that says every careless word will be held to account. Man, you know what that means for somebody that teaches? <laughs> that's, that's just downright scary. <laughs> because I say a lot of words. A lot of words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder that, you know, we're held accountable for our lives. And thank you that because of the blood of Jesus, if we put our faith in Jesus, the blood of Jesus covers us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So it's not our eternal destiny that's at stake, but we want to, as believers, we want to uh, do good for you. Not because we fear a bad report from you, per se, but we... Because we love you. And we want other people to come to know and love you as we do. And so, Father, help us to be on mission with the gospel of Jesus. Help us to be encouragers of other believers. Help us to live in a way that's pleasing to you in light that there is a judgment day coming, in light that there is a day of accounting coming. Help us, Lord. If our priorities are messed up, Lord, just show us. Uh, Give us an open heart. Give us an open heart to say, to truly mean it when we say, Lord, show me if there's something out of whack in priorities in my life. If um, If I need to shuffle that around and you're not being first. Lord, help us to use the gifts and skills and talents you've given us to represent you well this side of heaven, to serve all people, to love all people, and to proclaim your message to all people, the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.